Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today we have a fun episode ahead of us breaking down some basketball and some football content. With football, the portal has been super active. Hugh Freeze has been getting guys left and right, taking them from you know other schools. We'll get into that uh, a little bit more. Uh, Basketball-wise, conference play is in full swing. The Auburn Tigers have three conference games under their belt with a 2-1 and one record, one win against Florida, one win against Arkansas, and a loss against Georgia on the road. With Auburn playing the fourth game against Ole Miss tonight, we'll start with some basketball content. And Wheeler, why don't you just kind of walk us through really how – just kind of how this described this team, you know, this kind of stretch with a nail-biter against Florida at home, followed by kind of a rough performance against Georgia and a loss in Athens. Tigers weren't really that competitive in that one. And then against Arkansas where they don't trail a single time against arguably the most talented team in the SEC. Just kind of walk us through – kind of what you think about those three games, kind of the thoughts you've been having, and what keys you've seen in those games and those wins and those losses. What do you think the key is for tonight and for the rest of conference play that you've seen in these first three games? First of all, I mean, this is like right now, I wish we could just take a snapshot of where we are right now to be an Auburn fan because I think that this is one of the best combinations of football and basketball, hope-filledness, We've had in years because as of the time of this recording, we have not played Old Miss yet. So whatever happens in the future, um, we just, you know, we're flipping recruits. It's looking like we might have the number one transfer portal class. Like things are looking up on both sides. But like you said, talking about basketball, there definitely seems like going into the Arkansas game, there was a switch that was flipped in terms of I thought that the effort was always good. I thought that the effort was great against Arkansas. And I think, you know, if they're able to play with that kind of effort in every game, they're going to win a lot of games just based off of that. Um, You know, the rumors were swirling about a players-only meeting. I don't know, you know, how much that affected it and how much it was that Arkansas, you know, went like two of 13 from three. Um, That always helps when the other team just – can't hit the broad side of a barn from outside. Um, but, no, I thought that it was great. I thought that was exactly – they finally were able to score some points and put it together with the defense that they've had all year. The Georgia game, I think that tonight's game against Ole Miss is going to give us more of a clue into whether that Georgia game was a fluke or whether this team just is going to struggle on the road this season because I could see either one being a possibility. For some odd reason, Stegman Coliseum is Bruce Pearl and Auburn's kryptonite. I mean, I can't think of a time where we've actually played well in Stegman. I mean, think about last year. We had 
KD having to score a game-winning bucket against a really bad Georgia team. And we were, you know, a much better team than they were. Um, you know, when Isaac Okoro and Anthony Edwards were at Auburn, get they blow out Georgia, Georgia at Auburn Arena. And then, you know, you go into Stegman and you get just absolutely worked. Now, there were some injury problems for Auburn in that game. But, I mean, just in recent memory, it's been a house of horrors for Auburn. I, I mean, we haven't been able to shoot well there. We've turned the ball over a lot there. So, I will say, I'm glad we didn't have a podcast going into the Arkansas game because I was with Noble on Saturday, and I was down bad. I was down bad on, you know, my emotions got the best of me. I didn't think we had a chance. Um, and I feel better about the team after that Arkansas game. But how could you not? I mean, they've now shown you that they have the talent to beat the number 12 team in the country. Now, I will say, I just said that there's a lot of hope for Auburn Athletics. The flip side of that coin is our rival, one of our rivals in football, did just have a historically big win in the national championship, and our rival in basketball is probably the best team in the country. I could easily see Auburn could have a really good team this year and get swept by this Alabama squad because they are elite. I mean, they are really, really good at basketball. Um, So Ole Miss has a game. Line's gone down to one and a half for tonight. I think that's solely because it's on the road. I mean, Ole Miss has had a very unimpressive, I mean, resume up to this point. There is no reason that Auburn should be a one-point favorite over this team, other than the fact that so far this season, the performances on the road have been quite mixed. USC game, you didn't play I, – I wouldn't say you played horrible. You didn't play great, though, against USC. Um, didn't play great in the tournament down uh, – was it in the Bahamas or Mexico, wherever the tournament was. Didn't play great against Georgia. Blew the brakes off of Washington. Um so you never know. I, I think that Vegas is trying to figure this team out on the road. Um, I think that 8 o'clock tips are a tough situation, too. I think that, you know, playing with the same effort and energy on those late-night tip-offs tip in the middle of the week, um, they're tough. I think it's good that we're getting, you know, one of those out of the way before school starts so that the guys have had time to be rested. Um, so that could kind of neutralize that. But I'm really excited about the basketball team. I think that they're starting to show some improvement. And, I mean, if they can consistently score the ball, I thought Wendell had his best game. And you just needed somebody to be the leading scorer that, you know, you could count on to get a bucket. Um, And when he started having shots fall, I feel like it just helped the rest of the team have confidence that, like, the pressure was not on them to be the primary scorer, and then they were just able to play as a team. Yeah, and I, I really like kind of going back to what you said about the Arkansas game. It's just it felt good to see the team do that, and I think it was good for the team to see that they could do that, you know, and to, to kind of play a game against a really good team and know that they could win and win convincingly. Because I feel like a lot of Auburn fans going in, you either didn't have hope, and if you did have the outside hope, since it was at home, we might win. But nobody thought we'd win by 13, and really – I mean, 13 was kind of like not even the real score. I mean, they were, you know, if, if that if that three from Zepp doesn't, doesn't rim out, we're up by 20 at one point in that game. So, obviously, it was a very convincing win. 
the Georgia game, you know, you mentioned kind of the, the kryptonite aspect. And another kryptonite aspect of that game was Mike White. I mean, Bruce Pearl has never coached a great game against Mike White. You know, when he was at Florida, we always had fits with him, even before Colin Castleton, you know, was eating our lunch every week, which, by the way, it was beautiful seeing Colin Castleton not do anything in the loss uh, to Auburn in December. But uh, I definitely agree with you. I think that tonight is a really good test to see what they can do. But also, conversely, it's a good test to see – if they will not be good on the road, which I personally am not really expecting a lot of big-time road wins, these games are essential. The teams in the SEC, that really aren't that good. They're kind of having to figure it out. It's not like Ole Miss is a super raucous environment. I mean, if you were there last year, it was quite possibly the worst college basketball environment I've ever been a part of. But you got to win these kind of games. These are the kind of games that get you into the tournament, you know? I mean, beating Arkansas at home, that's great. They're a good team. That's going to help with ranking, all that good stuff. Could be a quad one win down the line. But this Ole Miss game isn't going to be a quad one win, but you got to win these kind of games. If Ole Miss goes on a run late in the season and they could sneak in become a quad two win, that's essential that we beat an Ole Miss team before they were really peaking. And even if not, this is a bad loss because they're not a good team. And so I think that it's very important to win this game. I think that one and a half is a generous line for the Rebels, and I do agree. I think that if Auburn was at home, we're a 10-point favorite in this. But the fact that there is such a swing does make you a little concerned. And we'll see kind of – because I will say, Georgia is I, – I think that Georgia is a bit of an exception because Georgia doesn't feel like a normal basketball arena. It is such a unique thing that I think that it's easier to compare Ole Miss to a prototypical basketball arena compared to Georgia. I mean, Georgia is – it's really dark in there. It's just weird. I mean, it's just weird all, all around. So I, I definitely think I'll be interested to see how this team looks. And really quick, can we talk about Alan Flanagan against Arkansas? Had, you know, one of the best games of his Auburn career and really the best game we've seen, you know, truly since the sophomore year. What do you think really contributed to Allen really finding his groove? And do you expect him – do you expect this to kind of just be a peak or do you expect him to, you know, really continue this level of play going into the next few games? I think he always plays well against Arkansas, being from Arkansas. I think he takes the game very personally. Um, I hope that he's able to continue that because I, I think that what we saw in the Georgia game was not necessarily that our players are just miserably bad at basketball because we've seen all of these guys play well before. It's that they were all having a lack of confidence. And so I'm intrigued to see if having a game where you beat the top 12 team and it's like, yes, you all are good enough to do this, if it like snaps in their head and they're able to play with more confidence throughout the year. Because right now you have a lot of guys and I feel like the word head case is like really negative connotation. So that maybe not that, but it's like Jalen Williams guy is really, really good tends to go on cold streaks. Wendell Green, really, really good when he's on, tends to go on cold streaks. Alan Flanagan, when he's on and he's confident, really, really good, goes on cold streaks. There's not that guy on the team right now that is just steady as she goes and is like, okay, we need something. You can go to this guy to break the streak. Um, so I'm hopeful that there won't be another time this season where they all three are kind of having an off game. Because, I mean, the Georgia game, that's all that happened. I mean, Allen was having a, a rough game. Jalen was having a rough game. I think, was it when and Allen had, like, 
or Wynn and uh, Jalen both had like they had like two made buckets between the two of them. Something I mean, like it was that. something where it was yeah. like they're D one basketball players. Like this is not a talent issue. It's just not their night. And so I'm hesitant to get down on the team so bad where it's like an epically bad performance like that. Shooting the three ball, it's a struggle right now. I mean, the team is not the most effective three-point shooting team. And when they finally hit them, it opens the offense up so much. They, they've got to be able to knock down some threes. Um, I thought that Janai Broom had a really good game, too, against Arkansas. I feel like Janai has had several good games in SEC play. He had a great game against Florida, great game against Arkansas, and uh, Georgia, I mean, I don't think that you could leave that game saying that anybody had a good game, and uh, he's no exception. So we're, I'm really interested to see how this Ole Miss game goes tonight. I think it's going to tell us a lot about the season because we've seen some inconsistency, so it's hard to forecast the future with what we've seen so far. Let me let me ask you a quick little question to see uh, what what you kind of what your expectation is right here. Auburn has four players this season that are shooting 30% or higher from the three-point line. Guess who the four are? Oof. Uh, Zip? Hmm. Interesting. Wendell? No. Chris Moore? Yes. Jalen? That's two. Janai? I feel like Janai's actually been knocking down some threes. He Lior? has recently, but he shoots 25% on the year. Lior? That's the third one. There's one more. Oh, let's see. Who could it be? Could it be Chance? Chance has not made a three all season. KD? No. Who? Alan Flanagan. I said him. No, you didn't. I thought I did. No, you did not. So just just to name some of the numbers, Jalen Williams is Jalen Williams is the high of people that actually shoot threes. He shoots thirty nine percent on the year. Chris Moore doesn't have that many attempts. Shoots fifty percent on the year. Leor shoots sixty. I uh, you know neither one of those guys are really shooting a lot, but they do shoot you know a higher percentage. And then you've got Allen who shoots thirty two point six percent. Janai shoots 25, Wendell shoots 28, KD shoots 26, Zepp shoots 26 and a half, Johan's at 17, Trey Donaldson's at 27. So, so when, when you look the at high the, 20s, basically. Yeah, but when you look at that, you don't have a single guard that's shooting 30% from three. Yeah. And the guys that you do have shooting, I mean, you've got Jalen Williams, who, you know, obviously he's, you know, one of the more efficient scorers on the team. And he's got Allen, who I feel like gets a ton of hate for being, you know, kind of inconsistent when he is, you know, one of the more consistent, you know, three point shooters. His turn, he does have two turnovers as a small forward per game, which is a little concerning. But and typically he, one of them is on the first five possessions and he throws the ball away. Exactly. And so do you think that this team will get any better? Like, do you think these numbers will change? Because I'm starting, I'm starting to get to the point that I really don't think they will. Like, I think that the guys that are leading, it would not surprise me if Jalen Williams finished the season still as the three-point percentage leader and if Allen was behind him. Because I just don't know if I have confidence in our guards 
to piece together a consistent enough stretch to get their three-point percentage high. Okay, what's wind shooting? 26%? 27.9, so 28%. He'll get up to 30, but that's, I mean, that's not much higher. No, I think that the team will shoot around 30% for the entire season, which is why I think that the team is limited in their consistency of winning. You know what I'm saying? I Like, yeah. I think that they have the potential to still make the NCAA tournament. I think that they can beat just about anybody on the schedule um, if they play well. Consistency-wise, though, they seem like a middle-to-lower-pack SEC team to me. I agree, and I think that the, the unique thing about this season is that there is not a home game that I do not think we can win. There's not a single home game that I don't think we can beat the team we're playing, whether it's Alabama, Tennessee, doesn't matter. If it's at home, I have a there's always going to be hope that we can win. Now, on the flip side, if it's on the road, there's always hope we can lose. Like there is not a single team on this roster or on the schedule that I think is a guaranteed win on the road. And so I think that that's the interesting thing about this is how many of those swing games can you get when you play an average. You're, you're not going to ask this team to beat Alabama in Coleman Coliseum. You're not going to expect this team to beat Tennessee on the road. You're not really going to expect this team to beat Kentucky and Rupp. I think that this kind of team, if you can steal those road wins against average teams and steal some of those home wins against great teams, I think that is what is going to be the make-or-break aspect of this team from a confidence perspective and from, you know, a seeding perspective to get to the NCAA tournament. I personally believe this team will make the NCAA tournament, but I think that where we are, whether we're a 10 seed or even as high as a 6 seed, I think all that depends on how you can win those nitty-gritty midweek games at 8 o'clock against a team that's not very good, but it's on the road. You know, games like tonight are what's going to define this team's season, I think. you got to beat the Mississippi schools in their place, and you got to beat Vanderbilt, in my opinion. In their As road games, yeah. The, the, we'll those are the road games that you have that I think are winnable road games. Do we play South Carolina on the road? We do. Okay. I I feel like that's a winnable road game as well. I agree. So our next our next five Auburn's next five games are all conference games. You've got Ole Miss on the road, Mississippi State at home, LSU on the road, South Carolina on the road, A and M at home. What is your expectation for those those five games? What record do you see Auburn having? Let's see. I would say dub tonight, which would be Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I actually could see us winning fairly handily there. Uh, I feel good about a dub on Saturday against Mississippi State. I do not feel good about going down to LSU next week. So I'd say L there. I'd say win Saturday against South Carolina and then win at the midweek game against Texas A&M midweek. So I'd say, what's that, four and one? Yeah. Uh, I think I think three and two to four and one is a solid expectation. That South Carolina game is the one that is kind of the worry for me, I, I would say. I think South Carolina is a better team than Ole Miss. Um, 2.30 on a Saturday. If I'm not mistaken, I want to say the last time we played South Carolina on the road, it was an afternoon game, and I want to say we lost. I, I could be wrong about that, but I, I I think it was either the Final Four year or the year right before the Final Four. 
when uh, when they had Chris Silva. You remember him? Oh, I think yeah. that was I think that was the last time we played there. But regardless, I do think that'll be interesting. And then we uh, travel to West Virginia for the SEC Big Twelve Challenge this year. That'll be another game um, that's interesting. But yeah, I think that that kind of is just the mantra of this this team. You know, you're just you're just interested. There's a lot of 50-50 games, and I think that we both are in agreement that the way the 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 length that this team can go is really dependent on how they win these 50-50 games and how they perform at home. And obviously, you know, January isn't that tough. I think having a good record in January is big because our February schedule gets a lot tougher. You travel to Tennessee, you host Alabama, you host Missouri who's been playing some great basketball, and you travel to Rupp all in that same month. So I think that 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 month of February is a real grind. And then going into March, the last three games, you've got Kentucky and Rupp, Alabama and Coleman hosting Tennessee. I mean, that is just about as tough of a three-game stretch as you can get. And you know by that time, Kentucky will be, you know, figuring it out a little bit more, piecing it together at the end of the season like they always do. But, Wheeler, unless you have anything else to comment about basketball, we can kind of transition to the football side of things. Uh, Obviously, Auburn has been very active in the transfer portal, picking up a lot of different guys, specifically at positions of need. You know, just recently in the past, um, past two days, Auburn has picked up, um, the East Carolina center, you know, coming coming in from uh, – he committed to Illinois about a month ago. If you've listened to this podcast enough, you know Wheeler's love for East Carolina football. So Wheeler is very excited about Avery Jones coming in. Um, Brett Bielema, the head coach at Illinois, was very unhappy and took to Twitter to express everything. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, USF transfer running back Brian Batty was also an ad. Uh, Nick Mardner, who was, has some familiar, familiarity with Marcus Davis, Auburn's current wide receiver coach, who was coached under him at Hawaii in 2021, and he recently is transferring from Cincinnati. Uh, you've got C.J. Johnson and Tyler Scott were some high schoolers that joined the class. They signed on signing day during the early signing period and announced later in, uh, later in the year that they will be coming to Auburn. You've got Lawrence Johnson, the defensive tackle transfer from Purdue, my personal favorite transfer so far uh, on the defensive end, you got Demario Tolan, the transfer linebacker from LSU. True freshman appeared in all 12 games. That was big. You got Mosiah Nasali Kite from Maryland, who is a big, uh, big body defensive tackle. Reminds you kind of of just one of those, you know, the big guys that just clog up the the running lanes. You've got Western Kentucky offensive tackle Gunnar Britton. The he was a former. All-Conference USA, I think it was the second-team guy uh, at offensive tackle over there. And then you've got Dylan Wade, who is an offensive tackle transfer from Tulsa. So I think that wraps up all the transfer portal guys we've gotten in the past, you know, since we've had our last podcast. So either, I th- you know, g- give us your thoughts about these kind of guys, which guys you think will be the quick, just plug-and-play guys on the offensive line, defensive line, wherever. And I, I believe this class is – third I think third in the country on the transfer portal class right now behind Florida State and Colorado so I'll let you take it away just kind of give us your thoughts about guys that you think will be instant contributors who you think the most slept on transfer portal guy is and kind of what you expect going forward with more transfer portal pickups from you know wide receiver position quarterback also just kind of take it away okay I think uh Dylan Wade coming in from Tulsa is going to be your best transfer um I think he is a solid lineman that has the potential to 
really change this offensive line. Um, I also think that the Western Kentucky transfer has the potential to be really, really good if he's able to become more consistent. In my little bit of watching, I went back and watched the Auburn-Western Kentucky game. He was a boomer bust guy. Like, he was either going to make a really, really good block or he was going to get manhandled by Derek Hall, which I will say, a lot of people got manhandled by Derek Hall that are really good offensive linemen. Um, but you would prefer, because he's going to be playing against Alabama and Georgia, that he not be getting manhandled. Um, so just increasing the consistency for him, I think, is going to be kind of the, the biggest thing. Um, I'm really excited about Jones, our transfer from uh, – Oh, goodness. ECU, my favorite program other than Auburn. Um, And let's talk about this one. Noble, explain to me, because I I sat here and I just thought about it. What was Brett, what could Brett Bielema possibly have gained from that tweet? Because I'm looking at it like this. One, if the only reason that this guy chose to come to Auburn instead of Illinois which in and of itself just – I think Brett has some rose-colored glasses on that he thinks that people would rather play in Illinois. Not only is Auburn in the SEC, the weather in Auburn, Alabama, is significantly better than the weather in Champaign, Illinois. So just, I mean, right off the bat, there's that. There's the SEC. He mentions in every single article the the football-only facility was the nicest thing he had ever seen in his life, and that was – Basically, the reason he chose to come here, if it was just the NIL and he's just blowing smoke about really wanting to play in the SEC his whole life and really loving the football-only facility, what does it gain Brett Bielema to say, we got outbid NIL-wise for a guy? Because it's perfectly legal. So there's no like, oh, we're going to investigate this team. All it says is, yeah, Auburn's NIL is really good, and ours is really not good. Like, that doesn't make anybody think, wow, I want to go play for Brett Bielema in Illinois right now. Like, it makes no sense. Not to mention, who tweets at a recruit? That That is the second Big Ten coach that is tweeted at one of our recruits for coming to Auburn. I mean, I think that really shows how down bad Harson had us, that we're, like, taking recruits from Power 5 teams, and these coaches are, like, what do you mean you're going there? Like, how sad is that? That that's that's the reaction that these for those that don't remember, Ryan Day said about uh, is it Kalen Lee? Was that who the DB was? And he was like, back in my day when you committed somewhere, you quit getting recruited. So I quit recruiting him, and he just went somewhere else. Well, I mean, I've just never. I, I just assumed that you would keep on recruiting someone. Like just in well, every other coach in the country, recruiting does. someone, nobody like applies for a job and they're like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna give you the offer for the job," and then they just ghost you and they're like, "Oh, you took another job?" Well, I mean, yeah, you hadn't talked to me in four months. Um, so bad look for Brett. Honestly, kind of a bad look for us. Only in the sense that it had gotten that bad. I think. I mean, great look that we're the third rated transfer portal class and a top fifteen. High school class. I mean, he Hugh has brought in 
a large infusion of talent that this roster needed. I mean, this roster needed a massive transfer portal class just like this and a really solid high school class. Yeah, and, you know, for those who didn't see, Brett Bielema retweeted. So Avery Jones tweeted, you know, his his commitment, you know, at it uh, on Twitter. And Brett Bielema retweeted it and said, college football is changing every day, hashtag NIL. And then someone else who I believe is a beat writer for uh, – for uh, Illinois football, to, you know, retweeted the same thing and said, looks like Illini lost ECU transfer Avery Jones, big loss for Illinois. And Brett retweeted that one as well and said, loss with four question marks, hashtag ILL. So there, there are a couple things. So, you know, when you asked what he could gain, the one, the first thing that came to my mind is maybe if there was something a little shady going on, and Bielema was like, this is shady, they weren't allowed to do this, whatever. I don't really know what possibly we could have done. I mean, it's difficult to get busted now. I mean, you're allowed to pay people. I mean, that, you know, he, he literally said that NIL was the reason it happened. I mean, it's not like it's very difficult to sway anybody with NIL. I mean, that that's pretty, that's pretty open. It's not like you can – I mean, the NCAA is not really going to – there's no way you can really get busted for that. Um. And the second thing I thought was maybe Brett just hates Auburn. And I I don't think that's necessarily out of the question. I mean, if you look at what Auburn did to his Arkansas teams when he was the coach, I mean, I don't think I will ever forget when a ranked Arkansas came into Jordan Air Stadium and lost 56 to 3 in 2016. I mean, the man just didn't really I mean, he he beat Auburn if I'm not mistaken, he beat Auburn once when he was the coach at Illinois and had a lot of blowout losses. So Maybe he's just a little salty. That's what all the other – I mean, all, a bunch of Auburn players have been tweeting at him, saying he's salty. I believe Demari Austin told him to get his money up. I mean, I thought it was – I think it's interesting seeing how the Auburn people have kind of uh, pursued that. But it's a very strange look for a Power 5 head coach to be this salty on Twitter, you know? I, I just think it's, it, it's, it's odd to me. I just don't really know what to say about it. It's very strange. I mean, I'm kind of going through right now to see if Ole Miss beat him too, like Auburn did, and that he has some hate in his heart against you. Um, and, I mean, no. Like, he beat Hugh 30 to nothing one year. Um, so, uh, it's just kind of an odd situation. Why, I, I mean, he liter- it literally just sounds like he's complaining to his own booster saying – we just got outbid for somebody and then trying to come back around and be like, lost them. No, we didn't, we didn't want them in the first place. No, he had a winning record against you. He, uh, he beat him 30 to nothing. And then the very next year won that classic overtime game where the wild reverse happened. You remember that game? Mm-hmm. Um, so no, it, it's not a hate towards him thing. It's just a, but the thing is, it's like, what, why would you, like, if you're mad at your boosters for not giving you money, why do you take to Twitter? Why don't you just say, hey, you know this center that I really wanted to help my offensive line? Well, Auburn just paid $30,000 more for him because we don't have enough money to pay. Like, you don't have to go to Twitter. I mean, you can just talk to the guy. Uh, I mean, you can talk to your donors. I mean, I just thought that it was very strange. But from Hugh Freeze's perspective, you know, it, it looks all signs point to 
you know, the transfer portal so far has brought in three day one starters on the offensive line, both the tackles and your center. And so that kind of helps with, you know, we, we've talked extensively throughout this season about Tate Johnson uh, coming off an injury is one of the centers. You've got Connor Lou, who will be a true freshman. This was a really good land as someone who has really experienced as a center, is going to be able to pick up blitzes, was able to, you know, just come in and, you know, he only has one year of eligibility, but if Lou can learn under a guy like this and use his talent to be the guy of the future, I think that this is a really big time sign. And I think this might go down as one of the more underrated signings of this class, but also having both your tackles kind of shored up with, you know, not a hundred, like Wade's a little bit more proven than uh, Britain, but I mean, they're, they're good tackles. And I think that we're, we're going to be upgrading on both tackles and upgrading in the center. And so regardless of what happens with the guards, if we decide to roll with the guards we have, which were, you know, in my opinion, the strength of the offensive line and what there weren't that many strengths, but the guards were stronger than the tackles or the center. So I think the offensive line is shaping up to not be a bad unit at all. I think that now kind of you look at quarterback, whether it'll be Robbie, whether it'll be Holden, whether it'll be a transfer. I think that's kind of where the shift is, has taken, you know, you landed Nick Martiner to kind of bolster that wide receiver room add another wide receiver. Then I think all eyes are on, you know, QB one. Um. All right. So speaking of QB one, give me your prediction on Spencer Sanders. I think Spencer Sanders is a really interesting one. I think that, I think that we have a, good shot to land him but I will say I think that he'll he'll still be a guy that needs a little bit of development I think that the biggest thing that he needs to work on is if he can clean up his turnovers I think that if he cleans up cleans up his turnovers he's an incredible quarterback if he can cut his interception total in half I think that Auburn will be really good next season now if he keeps turning it over it's going to be a bit of a problem because you can't throw one and a half interceptions a game in the SEC I mean, quarterbacks just don't do that. Now, in the Big 12 and you're, you know, throwing it 45, 50 times a game, you can, you know, you can deal with, you know, throwing it to the other team every once in a while. But I think that at Auburn that's going to be a problem. I think that if we do land Sanders, I think that the confidence for Auburn will go up. I think we have a better shot with some, you know, wide receiver transfers that they can see a proven or a proven power five quarterback come in. But, you know, I, you know, we've talked extensively about Robbie and Holden. But, yeah, I, I would say that we have a decent shot at Sanders, and I think that if we do land him, then, you know, you can feel free to smoke the crack because regardless of who starts at quarterback, we're going to have a good, a good option. You know, even if Robbie beats him out, then it just builds up, you know, Robbie even more that he beat out a proven, proven power five guy, you know? Yeah. I will say another guy that underrated that I'm really excited about is Demario Tolan. We talked about on the last podcast how the linebacker room needed just a guy. You know, you needed to replace a, with a really talented guy, a really athletic guy, and I think you got that out of Tolan. I feel great about the secondary. I feel pretty good about the linebackers. Depth-wise, I feel fine about the defensive line. I'm slightly concerned by the lack of a true pass rusher. Um, on the defensive line, I don't think that there's an elite pass rusher right now. Um, to kind of take that Derek Hall place. Um, feel good about the O-line, honestly. Receivers, you'd like to see another game-breaker. I mean, uh, what's his name? The guy that was at Hawaii. Um, he's 6'6". Six, six. He Martiner. played more. Huh? Nick Mardner. Yeah. He reminds me, and he just sounds like he's uh, 
Xavion Capers, but just Xavion left, so they brought in someone who was of the same talent as Xavion, who was just tall, kind of a tweener, not quite a tight end. That that was as soon as I saw his stats and I saw that he had signed with us, I was like, they literally went out and they said, Xavion is pretty good. We need somebody just like him. And they just went and got Xavion Capers again with a new name. Um, I thought that that was funny. Um, I think Landon King will step up. I think Camden Brown will step up. I'm excited about the receivers this year. So I think quarterback is really – quarterback, and I'd love to get a pass rusher. I don't necessarily know that they're after a pass rusher right now. That might, you know, happen after spring practice maybe. If a big-time pass rusher enters the portal, you can go after him. But I don't feel like there were a lot of big-time pass rushers entering the portal because that's kind of a position that you want to lock down with your NIL if you have it. Well, I also think – I think that a a big name to watch is a potential guy that could come along in spring and really be a big-time contributor in the fall is Dylan Brooks. You know, we've – he was a massive recruiting win when we got him. He hadn't really – He's been on the field a little bit, but hadn't really cracked into into anything. But granted, he has been behind Derek Hall, uh, brought in Eculiota. So he, he he wasn't exactly able to just break in. I mean, you had to be a pretty solid player to break into the defensive line rotation. So I think that he's a guy that if he starts receiving starter minutes and starter reps in practice, he could be a guy to watch that could really burst onto the scene this fall and be a big-time pass rusher kind of guy, you know. But – I definitely think that it'll be interesting. We'll be back next week to break down some more SEC basketball. Hopefully a couple more holes have been filled. Um, you know, just a real quick thing. Spencer Sanders has appeared to – has he's made his decision. He hadn't really announced anything, but judging by his Twitter, he made a tweet a couple of days ago that made it seem like he at least has a really good idea of where he wants to go. So I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, obviously we'll, we'll break all that down uh, as it happens, and we'll be back next week with another podcast but as always you know thank you guys so much for listening and war eagle war eagle